guys, welcome in. This is going to be episode two of The Thatcher Effect. It's good to have you all here with us. Um, I'm here, joined always by the one and only Richie Osler. How's it going? Richie, it's been a while. How, how have you been doing? We've been doing good. Okay, that's good to know. Well, we're going to just dive right into it. We're going to keep it short for all you jazz lovers, for all you Utes lovers. We're getting right into it because, of course, the jazz are a hot topic, not only in the NBA, but in the sports world. They are number one still, not only in the Western Conference, but in the entire league. Um, but as we, of course, know this last week, uh, the all-star teams were basically cemented, the players that are going to play. But we've also had some movement going on with some injuries. All, honestly, if you guys uh, listen to our last episode, if you guys can get through the uh, terrible editing, um, our teams are actually pretty close. I mean, we were we were almost there. Um Obviously, the, the fans in the NBA chose differently, but I actually really like their selections. I mean, everyone has a valid reason to be there. Yeah. Um, obviously, we learned Kevin Durant uh, has a hamstring injury. Uh, he's not going to be able to play uh, in the All-Star game. So uh, Jason Tatum, I believe, was moved up to be a starter. And then Sabonis was also able to, to come in and be a reserve, um, which was a big move for the East. And on the West side, things are looking pretty solid. Um I honestly like both of these teams, and it's actually going to be an exciting game. I'm actually really excited for that. Uh, the big news here in Utah, of course, was kind of the Mike Conley snub. I mean, lots of people are talking about it, and you could honestly see it. If you watch the game against the Lakers, uh, you could honestly tell it was a difficult day for him, but he kind of proved himself in those opening minutes against the Lakers. Um, what He had 14 points in the first quarter. Um, he was shooting lights out. Um, but there was one moment after hitting a three where you could just tell, like he was, he was sad that he missed, but he just kind of wanted to prove all the haters wrong. Cause Mike Conley's having one of the, if not the best season of his career right now. And he's really molding well with the Utah jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell, of course, and Rudy Gobert are these, um, are going to be all-star reserves. Um, but we're going to dive right into, uh, Rudy's kind of defensive stardom. Uh, so two weeks ago, the 76ers and the Jazz played a pretty good game. Ben Simmons actually played his best game of his career in a regular season, I would say. He scored, what, 40 points? Uh, yeah, he had his career high in points. Yeah. And <laughs> well, it seemed like in the first quarter, he was just walking right past all our defenders to just dunk it every time. Um, and... You could see they definitely made a defensive transition because you saw in the first quarter you couldn't they couldn't really stop Ben Simmons, and so what did they do? They put Rudy on him, and it was kind of weird to see the center being up on the point guard of the Sixers. You don't really see that a lot, but it actually worked. Uh, if you look back at the stats, uh, Rudy Gobert actually significantly helped the Jazz on defense when he was guarding Ben Simmons. Um, ben Simmons went from uh, over sixty percent shooter to about. Uh, high 30s against Rudy and even though he still scored major points in that game Rudy was a big emphasis and a big reason as to why the Jazz eventually won that one Uh, but Ben made some comments after that game which were kind of I wouldn't say surprising but uh, what did he what did he say Rich I'm pretty sure you got the quote pulled up Ben Simmons said that he is feeling quote disrespected by Rudy guarding him so I think that's really interesting that he feels disrespected by a two-time defensive player of the year guarding him. Um, and I think this also comes down to a little bit of Ben, ben Simmons' own insecurity. Um, ben Simmons also has come out and said that he thinks he is the defensive player of the year and that he's the best defender in the league. 
Um, I think that's interesting because you don't have James Harden come out and say that he's the best offensive player in the league. That's just not something that a lot of players will do. That's it, that'll say that they're the best at something. Um, so Ben Simmons coming out and saying that kind of shows his insecurity. And this reminds me of a personal experience I had with Ben Simmons two years ago. Really? Where he posted something on Instagram of him making um, mid-range shots in the summer. And I commented something along the lines of, wow, really cool um, that you're making mid-range shots during the summer. Now do it during the season. And then he responded to me. He actually gave me a response. So I kind of think Ben Simmons is a little bit insecure about himself um, as a player. And he feels like he has something to prove. And he'll go out of his way to say that he has something to prove, which most NBA players won't do. Yeah. You look at humble superstar like Donovan Mitchell, who isn't always saying that he is the best player on his team, that he is the best guard in the West or anything. Donovan Mitchell isn't saying anything like that because he recognizes what he is. And if anything is being said about him, he'll let his game do the talking. Ben Simmons is the type of player that feels like he has to come out and do the talking himself. Um, So I think this kind of talks a little about about Ben Simmons' character. But I also really like the narrative that's going on, Ben Simmons versus Rudy Gobert. Because I don't want to knock Ben Simmons. He is a really good defender. And... He honestly might be one of the one of a, the top three individual defenders in the NBA right now. But the thing about defense in the NBA is it is more of a team thing than offense. Um, offense, you can have superstars that can um, play ISO the entire game. It's a lot harder to be a defensive superstar than it is to be an offensive superstar. To be a defensive superstar, you're affecting the way that your whole team plays. Um, I look at the last couple of defensive player of the years. Rudy was two of them. Last year, it was Giannis. Um, what was interesting about Giannis being defensive player of the year is that he also had two teammates that were all all defense. Um, and so this kind of goes back to me thinking that defense is a team thing. Um, when Giannis was playing, he had Brooke Lopez behind him who was all defense. And honestly, there's an argument that Brooke Lopez could have been the defensive player of the year because Brooke Lopez is the guy behind. He's telling everybody what to do. He's telling them the switches they need to make. And he's kind of the last man standing. Giannis was incredible at defense, but a lot of his success can be credited to Brooke Lopez. And I think the Jazz have the same thing going on with them. Um, What Rudy is able to do is he's able to change the way that the Jazz play. Because honestly, the Jazz only have one other good defender. Mike Conley, he's too small to be a really effective defender. Donovan Mitchell was drafted because of his defense, but he's shown us that defense actually isn't a strong suit, which is really interesting. Um, Bojan Bogdanovic isn't a great defender. And Royce O'Neal, he'll probably be an all-defensive team, if not this year, in the coming years. Um, But that speaks a lot to what Rudy's done on defense because the Jazz are currently one of the top teams um, in defense this year. And I'd like to pull up a stat. Um, defensive rating and defensive win shares between Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons. So on this one, Rudy Gobert is, he has the best defensive rating in the league at 100.2. Ben Simmons is down at number 16 at 107.2. Um, defensive win shares. This is basically saying how much, um, defense is helping them win. Um, Rudy Gobert is number one again at, with 2.3 defensive win shares. And Ben Simmons is number 13 which is about 1.5 win shares. Um, 
So honestly, Ben Simmons, you're good. But Rudy Gobert is at a complete different level. Rudy Gobert changes the way his whole team plays, plays defense. His team is able to make mistakes because Rudy is there. And that's what makes him the defensive player of the year. Because he's able to fix his team's mistakes. He's able to make the right read over and over again. And that's what makes him such an effective defender. Ben Simmons, sure, you can shut down Luka Doncic. And maybe that'll help you beat the Mavs. But when it comes down to it, defense is important as a team. And um, if you can shut down one guy, that's great. But you need to be able to help your team shut down their other guys too. Yeah. And... I, you know, I'm looking at these stats too, and it, I, I think the only thing that like Ben Simmons can really say he's better at than Rudy would be steals per game, which is obvious yeah. because a center doesn't really steal that much. He's in the passing lanes. And a, another uh, point that some Sixers fans made and some you know other NBA fans in general, they said that, okay, well, there's a difference because Ben Simmons is always out on the wing and Rudy's just standing in one spot the whole time. So like he just protects that, that small part of the court. There's a, a lot of games this year where you can look back and see he's actually playing all around the court. He's everywhere. He's literally everywhere. And I, I think ESPN or uh, another sports uh, website actually pulled up a, uh, a kind of a funny video to show his wingspan. His wingspan is about eight feet, I think. Eight, and, eight to eight and a half. It's pretty long. It said it was longer than a, like a uh, regular sized Hummer, like a Hummer vehicle. Those things are huge. Yeah, seven nine. Wow. Yeah, seven nine wingspan. Like that's huge, and you can definitely see it that it affects players in the way in which they drive. Not only drive to the basket, but when he takes them out on the wing. And I think something else that's very noticeable about Rudy's game is if say he does get beat when someone's driving to the basket, his reaction time is very quick. Yeah. You can see, uh, you know, there's a meme obviously when Steph Curry just absolutely put him into space, um, like three or four years ago in the playoffs. Ever since then, I, I'm pretty sure he's worked on how to recover when he gets beat inside. It's pretty incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure for all you Jazz fans, uh, if you watched last year's game against the Mavericks, DeLon Wright had a wide-open trip to the basket for the game winner with under, what, 30 seconds left. And Rudy absolutely demolished it because DeLon didn't even see him there because of his 7-9 wingspan. His reaction time is very, very impressive. And I, you can look at the highlights this year. Rudy's all over the court. And without a doubt, he is absolutely deserving of that Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, obviously these last few weeks, um, they've been looking, um, I, I wouldn't say weak, but not as strong on defense against certain teams that I thought they do uh, good on. So we'll start with, um, some of their last losses. Their, uh, their second to last loss was against the Clippers. Um, watching that game and the players said it themselves as well. It was kind of like watching a playoff game. It felt like, um, the Jazz had just come off of a 20-point victory against the Clippers team that didn't have Kawhi Leonard, didn't have uh, Paul George. Um, uh, they didn't have uh, Luke Kennard. They also had some other players out. I think they had like... Yeah, they, they had a, Nick, 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 Nick was out. was out as well. Yeah, so they had like five players out. Uh, the Jazz struggled at the beginning, but obviously they, they went in and blew them out. So the Clippers come in and they bring everyone back. And so now it was like, okay, now the Jazz can have a chance to prove themselves. And... If you if like you're a jazz fan, you watch jazz games all year. Like they had a pretty crappy game, but the fact they only lost that by four is pretty impressive to me. Uh, they're shooting. They had wide open shots. Um, I, I felt like their spacing was a little bit off in that game, um, and it, it felt like Mitchell was trying to do a lot of ISO work. But in the end, uh, Donovan Mitchell kind of turned on the Jets like he does. You know, he, but he didn't show up early, which is also kind of a big problem. 
uh, and they ended up losing that game. So what kind of looking back at that Clippers game, what kind of went wrong for the Jazz or what kind of stood out to you from that loss? One thing that I feel like happened during the Clippers game is we're getting out toughed. So you look at the Jazz, we're going to outshoot teams. We're going to, um, we're going to, we might out rebound teams with Rudy Gobert's um, presence on the rebounds. Um, we're going to pass better than a lot of teams. But what we're losing, um, what, why we're losing, is because we're getting out toughed. The Clippers are honestly a really tough team. Um, Paul George, as much slander as he gets from Utah, is a tough player. And Kawhi Leonard's a very tough player. And they're surrounded with tough players. They're surrounded by a psychopath, Patrick Beverly, who is absolutely everywhere and who's just crazy. But he changes the way that, that the Clippers play defense. Yeah. Um, and so when we play that team, we're getting out toughed. Um, I don't think the Jazz right now have that toughness. I think they have players who are tough. I think Donovan Mitchell is a tough player, and I think also Rudy Gobert. But it's not quite the same toughness that like Patrick Beverly has, for example. Um, they don't have those killer mentalities. Um, and come playoff time, that might be a problem. Um, we might get out-toughed by some teams. Um, there are teams in the Western Conference who won't out-tough us. I think of the Nuggets. I think of the Suns. Um, I think of the Trailblazers. I think we are tougher than those teams. Um, but I look at the Lakers and the Clippers, and I feel like a lot of what sets them apart from us is their toughness um, and how physical they play. Because when they're playing that physical, they make it so the Jazz aren't taking the shots you, us you usually see them shoot. Um, they're forcing a complete different game on the Jazz. Um, the Jazz this year have been really good passing the ball around and shooting wide open threes and getting in the paint but kind of when we play those teams we start taking mid-range looks we start taking different looks that we wouldn't usually take because they're taking away our spot our spots so um i think these matchups like the matchup against the clippers is a really good gauge to see where the jazz are right now uh, and it'll help us a lot during playoff time to see where we need to improve um, so honestly, I'm not upset about a loss to the Clippers or the Heat. Um, I think both of those losses are good losses, and you don't want your team to go 82-0 and 0 because then your team really isn't winning anything. You're not learning anything during the season. And come playoff time, when teams are starting to scheme more and make adjustments, um, you're not going to be prepared for those adjustments. So, you know, I'm happy with those losses, and I hope that Quinn Snyder is able to make the right adjustments come playoff time. Yeah, and I, I love how after that Clippers lost, the, like the players even acknowledged, like this was good for us because they were on a nine-win streak, another really good winning streak against really good teams, a, st a stretch where I thought they maybe would win half of those games. Yeah, they ended up winning all of them, um, except for obviously that second-hand game against the Clippers. But even Donovan Mitchell said, like this is a this is good for us, like we needed this. Um, and so going into this last week, uh, Monday's game, I, I I thought against the Hornets was also a very good showcase of what can happen to the jazz and how quickly they can turn a switch on and how quickly it can go off uh the hornets came in and we allowed almost 70 points in the first half i think it was 67 to 64 um obviously lamella ball is a factor but they're definitely not one of the top offensive teams in the country no. um you know we weren't playing the nets with three all-stars we were playing lamella ball and the hornets and yet you had Malik Monk out here scoring double digits and all this was, was going down. And the Jazz just didn't look like themselves. Able to 
kind of fight back at the end of the third quarter. And then you send in kind of the reserves to start the fourth. And the Jazz ended up going on a 41-11 to run. Probably one of the, the most impressive runs I've seen in a while. Uh, and it was all thanks to the legend himself, George Niang, <laughs> who we talked about in our last podcast. Uh, again, I'm not saying he's consistent because he's definitely inconsistent. We've seen that. But he also showed in this game he could show up. Like, he, he has that potential to be that ninth yeah. guy. He could go 7-7 seven and seven <laughs> for 7 yeah, from 3. He was 100% <laughs> from 3 for 21 points. Like, that's all he shot was, was from 3. But, again, they, they shot a, a, you know, a franchise record 28 threes in that game. But the fourth quarter, they just turned it on, and they ended up winning that game by 22 points. A, a game where I honestly thought, wow, we're actually going to lose to the Hornets at home. Um. I just think that shows we talked about it in the last podcast. You said the jazz need to be a nine man deep roster and they were kind of, they were at eight and that ninth man was lingering. Someone could step up, but it's not secure. In that game I saw when the, when the starters weren't playing as well as they should have, the reserves kind of came in and, and played their role. And with George and kind of playing that ninth man spot, obviously going out of his head, shooting seven for seven, they ended up winning that game by 22 when the starters didn't have a good game. Uh, you look at Jordan Clarkson, who came in and did very well for them as well shooting, but I, I don't know. I just think in order for you to be a successful team, I think the reserves need to have almost as much firepower as those starters. And sometimes I feel that the Jazz reserves, I feel a lot more confident in their shooting ability than some of the starters. Uh, yeah. For me, I feel more confident when Jordan Clarkson shoots three than Donovan Mitchell. I, I, I totally feel the same way. And it... When I see my the reserves come in, I feel a sense of ease rather than a sense of urgency saying, oh, shoot, these guys are probably going to outscore us. I feel, okay, now Jordan Clarkson's in. I think we'll be fine. Like this, He could actually help us build a lead. And I think that's what you need in any good NBA team is to have a reserve that can outscore, has the potential to outscore your starters. Um, the Lakers game was obviously a huge topic of discussion. Um Obviously, Anthony Davis was out, but everyone the entire week was like, okay, the Jazz need to prove themselves against the Lakers, and then we'll see if they're for real. Um, one of my favorite analysts, Jay Williams from ESPN, um, he, he, he put um, on ESPN the day of the matchup, he said, okay, I think the Jazz are for real, but in order to prove to everyone else, these guys need to win by 20, okay? He says, if they win by 20, then everyone can know that they're for real. And his co-hosts agreed, okay, yeah, the Jazz win by 20. These guys are legit. Jazz up winning that game by 25. I felt like they played pretty solid the entire way through, had a really good game. And I knew the Jazz were going to get a form of respect or um, clout, I guess you could say. People were going to be talking about the Jazz the next day. But I was surprised to see how many analysts were actually still concerned about the Jazz after this game because so much was building up to it, right? Primetime, ESPN, even though Anthony Davis is out, the Jazz can prove themselves against the Lakers. And I felt like they did. They had a really good game. And yet the next day you have analysts who are saying, oh, well, there's, you know, six or seven teams that are better than the Jazz and all this type of stuff. And I'm going over here like, wait, what? Like, did you guys watch the game yesterday? Like, I understand that Anthony Davis was out and Dennis Schroeder was out. But the Lakers are still, a, I would say, a, a mid-tier team if those two are out, you know? Because you had LeBron. You can think back when it was just LeBron and Ingram and Lonzo Ball. I mean, they were 10th in the West, but they had potential, honestly. And this isn't a Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram. Like, you have Kyle Kuzma who's kind of stepped up to the plate. You have good down-low um, guys. Um, and yet, people just still doubted the Jazz. 
uh, which I thought was interesting. What was kind of your perception of that Jazz game against the Lakers? I thought the Jazz played great that game. I thought that was a telling game. Um, the Lakers missing Schroeder and Anthony Davis, um, they lose a lot of of their toughness, and they also have to yeah. make their players play in different roles. So that's not really a good game to measure how the Jazz are going to do against them in the playoffs. Yeah, But it is a good game to show that the Jazz are legit. Um, I do think that that certain analyst, Nick Wright's comments, um, were very interesting that there are six, five or six better teams than the Jazz. Um, and a lot of the logic was behind it. The lot, a lot of the logic behind the Jazz sucking or the Jazz not being a good team is that they haven't proven anything. To me, there is only one team in the NBA that has proved anything, and it's the Los Angeles Lakers because they won the championship last year. Every other team has made drastic moves and or hasn't proved anything. Um, for example, I think the six teams he thought were better than the Jazz it's probably the Nets, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, um, maybe the Heat, and maybe the Nuggets or the Suns. Um, I look at all those teams. None of those teams have really proved anything. Maybe the Nuggets, sure, they proved something, but they also got significantly worse in the offseason. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really interesting because the 76ers, they got bounced in the first round last year. The Milwaukee Heat lost to – or the Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Miami Heat – in in the second round last year um the boston celtics are horrendous this year so they're not better than the jazz the brooklyn nets they have proved just as much in the finals as the jazz have which is saying something because the jazz haven't been to the finals for more than 20 years um so i mean sure they have um three three of the best offensive superpowers in in the league um but really, when it comes down to proving it, the Jazz are doing everything you could ask for them to do to prove that they're a legit team. They're bidi- they're winning hard games, they're beating good teams, and um, they're playing at a sustainable level. Yeah. So, honestly, I don't understand the slander against the Jazz right now. And uh, going back to your point of, they, you know, he says, Nick Wright said, okay, they haven't proven themselves. I absolutely agree that you really can't prove yourself until the playoffs. And the fact that you're talking about okay, the jazz, well, this Jazz team could lose to the Lakers or the Clippers in the playoffs. Well, of course. I think any team could lose to any other team in the playoffs. That's the point about the playoffs. Clippers almost lost to Porzingis-less Mavericks team last year in the playoffs. Exactly. And so the fact that we're talking about a playoff matchup right now is pretty mind-boggling because right now we're focusing on who are the Jazz right now? What are they doing right now? Uh, another comment I liked, Rachel Nichols from The Jump said, like, don't focus on the playoffs. But if you're, you need to pay attention to what the Jazz are doing right now, mid-season, right before the All-Star break. They're doing really well. And if you're just denying that because they say, okay, well, you guys are potentially and most likely going to lose to the Lakers in the playoffs, then you're missing out on a lot of cool stuff happening with the Jazz right now. And I loved how she said, like, it's a train that's entertaining and you should watch it while it lasts. Because, of course, like, the Jazz have the potential to lose in the first round. Like, you could lose to an eight seed. That like, It's possible. It's right? But right now, the Jazz are playing really well, and the fact that people are just discarding it because the Lakers are the defending champions, I just think is pretty, a pretty stupid argument. Um, a lot of other people around the league, though, have kind of showed respect. Um, some pretty, um, state, some pretty uh, decorative statements about the Jazz. Uh, Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Warriors, says the Jazz are where we were three or four years ago. So, like, 
if you followed the NBA for the past five years, like the Warriors became the like kind of like the '90s Bulls in a way. Like you were afraid of them. You hated. They always went to the finals. You didn't like them. They had firepower. They had a season where they only lost nine games. Um, so that was pretty interesting to watch. But the biggest comparison is talking about the 2014 Spurs. And I think the reason why you, you call them that is because they have really good ball movement. Um, and they, they kind of play like a team. Sure, those guys had three all-stars. They had um, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. And, also and a young Kawhi Leonard. A young Kawhi Leonard. Um, but you can just kind of see they play a really good team ball. And I think that's really awesome to see in the league because... I think with a lot of the all-stars that are going to be playing in this upcoming game, their teams play a lot of ISO situations uh, to help their stars improve, and it's not really like a balanced attack. I love how when we played the Lakers, a lot of guys scored double digits because they all you know, put in their part. Um, so kind of going back to a, a question posed by an ESPN analyst, are the Jazz right now in the regular season a real threat to the Lakers and the Clippers? That's a tough question. Um, I think we are a real threat and I'm curious to see how the playoff standings are going to line up. Yeah. Because I think if the Jazz finish as the one seed and the Lakers and Clippers are the two and the three and they have to play each other, it's going to be really interesting to see if the Jazz can get to the Western Conference Finals and who they'll play. Um, but I do think that the Lakers and the Clippers both have things that the Jazz do lack, which is championship experience. Yep. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that the Jazz lack. But the Jazz do have good playoff experience. Um, we've lost in hard fashions um, to the Nuggets, to the Rockets, but we've also won. Um, you have you look at Rudy Gobert. He's won two playoff series um, during his career with the Jazz. Once against the Clippers with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, which seems like a decade ago, um, but it was just four years ago. That was insane. And um, another time he beat um, a Thunder team who nobody thought that the Jazz were going to beat. Um, so I honestly look at this jazz team and I think we have the potential to make a run. The biggest problem we've had in the playoffs is stopping superstars. Um, we have Jamal Murray and Jokic were incredible against us. And every time they play us, they're incredible against us. I, I, I still don't kind of understand how that happens because they seem to always just shoot lights out against the jazz. It's, it's insane. They just get ready for those games. Um, when Houston had Chris Paul and James Harden, they both played incredibly against us. Um, the only superstar we've really been able to shut down has been Paul George. So for that reason, I'm really not that worried about the Clippers. I think we can. Yeah. I think if we play Joe Ingles on Paul George, then Joe Ingles is going to get in his head again. I don't think Paul George has the mental game to be effective in the playoffs. Um, Kawhi Leonard, I think he absolutely does. But Kawhi Leonard's not the guy that's going to... Honestly, he's he's really good at offense. He's great at what he does, but he's not the guy that you have to worry about absolutely torching your team. He'll make the big shots, um, but a lot of what we saw in the in the playoffs last year and a lot of why they lost is because Kawhi Leonard wasn't really their anchor on offense the entire way down. Um, so for that reason, I think we can beat the Clippers. The Lakers are a complete different story. If the Lakers have an injury, I think the Jazz win. Um but if the Lakers are at full strength, I think the Lakers still win that game. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a common saying that superstars win playoff games. And I think you have two top five superstars on that Lakers team, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, LeBron has more ex more playoff experience than the entire Jazz team combined. Um, Anthony Davis is a perennial all-star. 
So going against that team, you know, you hope you can beat them, but you're really going to have to play incredibly and you're going to have to make incredible coaching adjustments every game. Yeah. And uh, going back to that Clippers loss, a lot of the players said that they had a lot of respect for the Jazz after that. I, I, I saw a noticeable difference after the Lakers loss. They said, okay, it's going to be a different game in the playoffs. You know, like yeah. we, we know they beat us pretty hard tonight, but like we're going to come back at them. Um, in, in my point of view, I absolutely agree. I think, I, I think the Clippers matchup is a really good matchup for the Jazz. Uh, I loved the Joe Ingles-Paul George matchup. If you're a Jazz fan, I absolutely love that playoff series against the Thunder a few years back. Um, mostly because after that first game, I think Paul George dropped around 40 points on the Jazz. And they, they snuck out with a win at home. And everyone started saying, okay, it's playoff P, playoff P. I remember talking to you, Rich. Paul George declared himself playoff P. Yeah. And I remember talking to you, Rich. After that first game, I was like, okay, could, like, is this actually going to happen? And you said, no playoff P is going to disintegrate. Like it's not going to happen. Like, trust me. And I said, okay, you go to the series at home for the jazz. It was so apparent how much he isn't playoff P and the term push off P started. Oh, yeah. Um, I think even then he didn't get a lot of the calls that he should have. And I think you actually saw it in this last game against the Clippers. I saw a few times. I'm like, okay, wait, like I forgot about this. Yeah. He does push off quite a bit, but I, I think he, he can be a clutch player, but it's not in, such as a big aspect as Kawhi Leonard was when he was with the Raptors and what he can be. I think something they also lack is usually the superstars of the team leaders. Yeah. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is known as like a robot. Like he doesn't have emotion. And to me, Paul George doesn't kind of seem like the guy who, you know, rallies around his team and can kind of lead them. To me, when I look at the Clippers, I would say, okay, maybe Patrick Beverly because of his emotion, yeah. Lou Williams, they're kind of the guys that lead that Clippers team. And I think that's fine, but I think if you're a superstar, I think what makes you a superstar is you you rally around other teammates. Um, Donovan Mitchell's a rising superstar. Something I like about him, though, is that he really enjoys when his other teammates have success, and he really likes to be the leader. And he shows that. He says, okay, I want to lead this team. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I don't see him getting his team hyped up and all this type of stuff. I just see his team get hyped around him and his robot mentality of him just going in and doing his thing. Uh, with the Lakers, um, I have kind of loved the relationship that Anthony Davis and LeBron James have grown together. I thought, okay, this could be... Whenever you see a superstar go with LeBron, I'm kind of worried, saying, okay, are they going to mesh well together? Because you've kind of seen in the past, like with Kyrie, he says, okay, I want to be the main guy. That's why he left. And he said, okay, I, you know, I want to do my own thing. Um, and so you're kind of worried. It kind of makes you worried, okay, does this superstar mesh well with LeBron James? And it turns out these guys actually play like pretty well. And these guys are lights out when they're both on the floor together. Um, I've become very scared of Anthony Davis with LeBron James because you have so many scoring options in the clutch. Uh, you look back to last playoff series, they had their center, Anthony Davis, score a deep three over Jokic at the buzzer, and he absolutely drained it. Like, if you have a deep center who can just drain from three, very dangerous, very dangerous. Um, so I say, as of right now, yeah, the Jazz are a threat. Like, yeah, they could possibly win against these teams. But like we said, I think it's kind of early to kind of compare them in the playoffs because obviously we won't know and the Jazz can't prove themselves until they get there. Um, but uh, the Jazz are actually about to, I think they're tipping off right now uh, against the Magic. So we'll see how that game goes. We'll probably talk about that one in the next podcast. But after um, the Lakers game, or I guess I'd say during it, Elijah Millsap, a former Jazz player, came out and tweeted um, about some allegations against uh, Dennis Lindsay. Um, uh, 
saying that he made some some bigoted comments um, in an exit interview at the end of the 2015 season. Um, and so the Jazz came out. Obviously, they said, okay, we have zero tolerance for this. You know, this shouldn't happen. Um, and then they brought up with Quinn Snyder because he said that Elijah said that Quinn Snyder was also in the meeting. And he said, okay, yeah, I've never heard Dennis Lindsay. I can't, or he's like, I can't remember Dennis Lindsay saying of that. And I can't imagine him saying that. Uh, but now the NBA is launching a full-scale investigation. Um, so, Richie, I guess from your perspective, what do you think? Or I guess, I feel like we kind of know Dennis Lindsay. I mean, he doesn't he live in Holiday? He does, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he lives close. Yeah, his son played for our high school team. Yeah. I feel like I've seen him a lot. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this whole situation? I think Dennis Lindsay is a great person. I also think Quinn Snyder is a great person and that Quinn Snyder would be honest about what really happened. Um, Quinn Snyder also mentioned that he is really sensitive to this type of stuff. Yeah. And that if something had happened, he would be the first person to say. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like if something happened, um, we would kind of know about it. We would know. And I think Quinn Snyder would be willing to come out and say. Um, that being said, I think it's always important to treat these situations with a lot of sensitivity. And you have to um, kind of understand where Elijah Millsap might be coming from, what he's thinking. Um, you have to try to understand what happened and just try to understand from his perspective. Um, and understand that the use of um, the N-word is never okay and should never be tolerated. And um, if it actually did happen, it is worth investigating. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see what happens with, with this entire investigation. Um, but honestly, I think Dennis Lindsay is a great guy. And I also think Quinn Snyder is a great guy. And I think they would uphold each other to, um, especially today, to see to what, to what they might have said. Yeah. And going back, I think you can definitely see Quinn Snyder this year and how much he really wants to make, you know, like a social change. He really talks about it a lot in his interviews. So uh, I absolutely agree with you that he should, he, he would be one of those first guys to really stop this because he is an advocate because Donovan Mitchell has become kind of a face of that, the like NBA's new movement into trying, you know, to, to, to push, um, you know, social change. And Donovan Mitchell has become like a really big advocate for that. And I think Quinn wants to kind of rally behind his players and, and talk about that. So, yeah, we'll we'll try and give updates as that as that continues to go. But we'll, that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, and after the All-Star break kind of quiets down, that's usually when kind of midseason moves start going in. Um, and you have all these trades kind of going on. So, Rich, in your opinion, should the Utah Jazz make any midseason moves? Honestly, I don't think so. The only move I would make if I were the Jazz um, is trying to pick up a wing defender. So a lot of talk has been about P.J. Tucker being traded. I don't think the Jazz have the assets or want to trade for him. But I do think if he becomes available via buyout, that the Jazz should try to pick him up. Because he is a good, he's a great shooter. He'd fit in with the Jazz. Um, he's a great defender as well. Um, imagine him replacing George's Nings minutes. I would I would love that so much. Um, I also I think George. you can look at other wing defenders, maybe Trevor Ariza. Um, I don't know, maybe we bring up somebody from the G League or something. But honestly, the Jazz right now, we should play out this season and see where we need to make adjustments in the offseason. Yeah. Um, because we're winning games right now, you don't need to really make any big changes. Um, the way we're playing is sustainable and it's great so honestly 
I don't think there's much rush to make any big trades. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think the Jazz have already played one of the, if not the hardest schedule in the NBA to this point, yeah. I think is what they said. Yeah, a top, a top five hard schedule. Yeah. And then they said the Jazz have the easiest schedule after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the Jazz are having a really good record with, you know, these types of teams are going against, that probably says they're going to want some continuity going into this easy part yeah. of the schedule. Uh, there there are going to be some really good games, and I think the Jazz got some attention from this because I think they're going to have 10 nationally televised games in the second half. Uh, how many have we had this one? Like three, four? Um, I think six. Oh, six? It, it's hard because you go from TNT, ESPN, and NBA TV. NBA TV, yeah. Uh-huh. So it's yeah. hard to keep track. But they've they've got more games now, and I think that's going to have... Uh, that has a lot of influence on how they've been playing. Um, uh, looking ahead to to this week... Um, so the Jazz are going against, uh, the Magic, uh, right now, and they're going to finish out, uh, before the All-Star break, they're going to finish out against, uh, the Pelicans and the Sixers, both on the road. So how do you see those games going? I think we will beat the Magic. Um, they're completely depleted. They are missing so many players that would help them. Um, the Pelicans, we've shown in both matchups that we absolutely destroyed and dominate the Pelicans, but they're, they're a good team and they have some good players. Maybe Ingram will drop 50 on us again. Um, the 76ers, I'm really excited for this game, especially because it's the last game going into the all-star break and it's kind of the last game of this road stand. So it'll be a good test to see how good, um, we are on the road and just to see where our mental toughness is. And we will get to see the 76ers at full strength with a healthy Joel Embiid. So I'm excited to see Joel Embiid versus Rudy Gobert versus Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, that that should be really exciting. Um, I, I'm also really excited to kind of see this New Orleans team as well. They get a lot of national attention, um, even way too much, very way too overrated. Much. <laughs> so I'm actually kind of excited to see how they match up against the Jazz. Uh Mike Conley is out tonight with a hamstring injury, but I do think, yeah, they're going to beat the Magic. But, yeah, like you said, this 76ers matchup is, it feels like a rivalry in a way. I don't know. Because of that Ben Simmons-Donovan Mitchell rookie thing, it just it just feels like a rivalry. Yeah, it does feel like a rivalry. I think it, and I think it's fun too, because um, for the foreseeable future, Ben Simmons is going to be with the Sixers and um, Donovan's going to be with the Jazz and Rudy versus Joel Embiid is always a great matchup. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super excited. And of course, like we just said, the second half of the Jazz schedule has just been released. And like we said, it's going to be, it's statistically, it's really easy. Um, there is one thing that kind of sticks out to me, and that's going to be the doublehead Lakers on the road. We play the Lakers uh, two times in a row at their place uh, on the 17th and the 19th. But something that's interesting to point out is we play uh, against the Pacers on the 16th. Um, and then less than a day later, we're playing the Lakers on the road, and then we play them twice. So I think that's kind of one that I think we very interesting to see and to watch. But like the Jazz haven't played. Uh, I don't believe they played the Kings yet. Uh, the Grizzlies, Rockets, Raptors. Um, th- these are going to be ex- exciting matchups. Honestly, I really like their second half schedule. I think it's been really fun to watch. Um, tuning tuning down. We're going to finish off with a little bit of Utes news. Uh, we talked last time in our first episode, why did the Utes keep losing wide receivers? And wouldn't you know what? We lost another one uh, in Samson Nakua just yesterday. Um, but good news for the Utes, they got a really good linebacker transfer. Uh, 
from from Alabama, believe it or not. I uh, love to see that we keep beating those guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, hey, uh, we're undefeated against them. <laughs> <laughs> One and zero, baby. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced this right. But Brandon Caho, uh, he's he's coming to the Utes program after spending three years with the Crimson Tide. Um, obviously, you know he he wasn't playing all the time, but he's got some pretty good stats and he's got a pretty cool blocked punt from last season for the for the Tide. Um, but our linebacking crew is pretty stacked now. You look kind of look oh, yeah. at the Utes defense. You've now have uh, Brandon with Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. Who Nephi Sewell I thought stepped up really well uh, this last season, um, and Devin Lloyd I think is going to be um, drafted in the NFL after this next season. Um, but yeah, that just I don't know. It just kind of sucks that we just lost another wide receiver. Well, what do you think it's telling us about our quarterback situation? Because yeah. here's my perspective: I feel like if we had a solid quarterback situation, that wide receivers would want to stay. So I'm kind of hesitant to see what our cores are, what our quarterback situation is like right now. Yeah. Um. I know. Uh. Um. Some of the other fan Utes fans on Twitter's uh, tweeted about it, kind of asking other fans, you know, what's the problem here? Is it QBs? Is it the offensive system under Coach Ludwig? Um. Is it something else? I think all of them have a lot of factors. Um. But I definitely think Utah just seems like has a different QB every year. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm mad that Jake Bentley is leaving. Um, but what I, I am saying is it's really nice to have continuity within a program, especially at the QB position. That's when you see when teams dominate is when it's the same guy, same superstar QB that you have every year. Um, and when you have guys changing and coming into the system, I feel like, yeah, you can, you can get adjusted to the system, but Ludwig's is once you're in it, you understand it and you play very well. We saw that with Tyler Huntley, um, with, it kind of took until his second year and then his senior year, he shined in that system because he understood it and he knew it. And I think it takes time for that to happen. And you have to build a relationship, just like we were talking about with the Jazz. You have to build a relationship uh, to have good defense, right? You have to play as a team. It, it applies to all sports, and especially with this Utes team, you got to have continuity. Um, the Utes did get Jalen Dixon back. He actually came back after saying he was going to the transfer portal, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I, I also kind of have to think in some way... Ludwig's system also favors slot receivers a lot, which I noticed watching last season's games. Uh, you see Brandon Keithy and, and, and Brayton Covey. Um, so that, that could have a factor. But it should be interesting to see what the Utes do because they're getting really good recruits from the transfer portal, but they're also losing their best players to the transfer portal. Um, um, so it's a lot of, you know, evened out balance uh, what's going on with the Utes. But I'm actually really excited for the guys that they're picking up. Uh, spring balls... Uh, coming up soon should be excited for that but yeah i think that's i think that's all we got for for this second episode of of the thatcher effect um so hopefully tune in uh we're gonna have this on of course on apple Podcasts, spotify um please share this with your friends and your family if you're a jazz fan a utes fan or just a sports fan in general we'll try and put some more general news in there um but this is nate thatcher and richie also signing out